Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? This is the episode our loyal listeners have been waiting for. Day nine of the playoffs. Nick Nurse out in Toronto, Ime Udoka in, in Houston. Um, let's start there. <laughs> no, I we have had an absolutely bonkers first round. Um, we're going to go through it all, but just to start, we had a 3-1 lead for the 1-8 seed, except the 8 seed is the one that's up. We have the 7-2 in the West with the Lakers looking to take a commanding 3-1 lead. We got the Kings and Warriors, a 3-6 matchup and an absolute death match, steel cage kind of situation there. We got the Cavs and Knicks, a 4-5, but a heavily favored 4 facing a 3-1 deficit to the Knicks. Uh, and shit, we got the 4-5 on the other side of the bracket with the Suns Clippers, who if they were playing a healthy Clippers team, might have all, this series might have already been over with the way Phoenix has played. So very little going to plan except the Celtics and the Hawks, which is going exactly how we thought, and the Sixers Nets as well. But we would be remiss if we started anywhere else but your Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors, the Goliath versus David, Defending champs versus the three seed, who's been the better team all season. We need to start here. We can break down the series, but we got to start here. 17-year playoff drought. You were in the building, as you told us you were going to be, for not only game one in Sacramento, but also game three in San Francisco. Well, let's talk about the Golden One Center. Walk me through that experience. Forget where we stand right now. Forget about uh, De'Aaron Fox's... Uh, index finger the tip of it i'm sure you already became an anatomical expert over the last 10 hours but walk me through being in that building game one because it just looked legendary it was on an unreal experience and that's not even doing it justice i have never been to a sporting event like that i've been to a lot of big games um not finals type games but big games with with big stakes and big crowds and i've never seen a crowd that just like foaming at the mouth at the beginning of the game. So 20 minutes before tip off, everyone is in their seats. Everyone is yelling. A lot of cowbells were there. So, you know, you joked about, did I, you know, send a message out or are people listening and maybe bring in the cowbells? Maybe they yep. listen to this pod because a ton of people came with cowbells. Every bucket, every big play, the crowd is going crazy. I think the atmosphere was amazing. And the, the number of Warrior fans I was pleasantly surprised was probably less than 5% of the entire stadium. So uh, they were priced out, all Kings fans, all ages, all jerseys. You saw like Bonzi Wells jerseys. You saw, you know, the, the typical Jay Will, Bibby, and then also the newer ones. It was just amazing experience, man. The fan base was was awesome. And obviously the game itself was awesome. I think there were there were moments where in game one, they they got down eight. Um, maybe 10, I forget. Crowd got a little quiet because they're not used to this. A little tense, a little. But uh, when the game got close at the end, I really think the crowd helped them pull it through. Um, so unbelievable experience. Just just amazing. And it was insanely loud in that building. Yeah, so game one, for those who don't remember, because it feels like a lifetime ago, given how this series has progressed, 126 to 123. So not only did you get to go to the first game there with the crowd, being full tilt the entire time. It was an absolutely epic game at that with just some killer Fox plays down the stretch. I think he finished with 38 that night. Steph Curry had a Wiggins first of all, he had an amazing wide open three to, to, to 
to win it, presumably. You know, he hadn't played in two and a half months, comes in, one vape from three, bricks the shot. And then Steph, what were you thinking when Steph took that one-legged, one-handed three at the buzzer? Oh, you always think it's going in. You always yeah. think it's going in. Because even though it was a runner, he kind of got a wide-open look at it in rhythm. It was awkward, obviously, off one foot. but And from my angle, it looked like it was going in. It looked straight in line with the basket. I didn't have the depth, so I thought it was going in. And the moment it just clanked off, it was surreal, man. It was surreal being up 1-0 because I think I personally thought they'd lose game one. Just too much energy, excitement, a little nerves. And I was wrong. They they won game one. They won game two. And the home court made a big difference. Well, you know, I think the league has been robbed of Kings playoff basketball for a long time because that environment, as much as it had to do somewhat with, you know, the 17-year drought, a lot of it just is what the Kings fan base has always been like. I mean, this is what they were like in Arco Arena in the early 2000s. They haven't really had a lot to cheer for between now and then, but this isn't like an Orlando or a Charlotte or a Washington with that kind of playoff drought where even if it were to be broken, yeah, fans are going to be excited, but we know they're not like ride or dies. Kings fans are ride or dies despite having every reason to die. And I just like, you know, we could transition this to the basketball, but like the poise, especially from Fox in his first playoff moment going against one of the goats of the generation and Steph Curry, one of the goats of all time, really. Uh, who, by the way, has played well all series, so it's not like Steph's given them any games off or anything like that, to continually make play after play down the stretch, the crowd just on pins and needles, because as much as you're happy to be there, you know you also have a chance to win versus a somewhat flawed Warriors team. And so I just was so impressed with the way they put that game away. They did it twice, actually, right? In game two as well, it looked like the Warriors were going to make a run down the stretch and I'll say this much about Fox. This is going to be a wild statement. I'm the king of the overreaction, but you're going to love it. I've been hard on him his whole career, as you know. Uh, even this season when he was playing all-star level basketball, it took me a while to get there. I picked Ant over Fox for my all-star 12th man, right? If you remember. Yep. Um, I have him third team All-NBA when he's clearly probably played better than that. There are moments, and I'm not saying this is a sample size of one from game th- game one and, you know, I've watched him enough this season where there are moments where I swear to God, he looks like one of the best players I've ever seen in the game of basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Like at least offensively, like like, let's put the defensive side of coin over here. Like offensively, just the speed, the finishing, but then when the shooting comes, which it always seems to when like the game's on the line, three-pointer mid-range he's at the cup his fast break his half court like he's literally unguardable in those moments and like if you could just put that third quarter fox in like some type of time capsule and show it to people like 25 years later they'd be like oh so this guy was one of the 10 best players of all time right because that's how good he looked and he does that in different flashes so i was mesmerized watching him i've been mesmerized all series really all season watching him I just every time you look feel like the magic's run out, he just brings it right back, including with a ridiculous game four finish that you know he generated a wide open three to win it at the end for Barnes. So always making the right play, you know, against Draymond, against Steph, the whole infrastructure. I'm blown away by De'Aaron Fox. I'm not even the most optimistic of Kings fans could have predicted this because as good as he's been in the regular season this year, 
You expect things to slow down during the playoffs. You expect him to take some lumps first postseason. You know, guys like Donovan Mitchell, who scored 71, scored 50, who's been in playoff battles. You see him struggle against, granted, a very good Knicks defense. Um, you know, we saw Devin Booker have some some struggles in his first postseason. It's it's something that, and, and Fox will struggle. Don't get me wrong. He's going to have a bad game. It might happen soon with his finger. Yeah. But I just That's think annoying. the poise to show that right out the gate and uh, being that fearless. And, and you said the shooting is what really, it's the mid-range and the three-point shooting that's just unlocked everything. Mm-hmm. The three-pointer, especially in the playoffs, has been consistent. He gets to that, he does. He gets to it via step back. He comes off the screen. He's shooting the threes with confidence and rhythm, and that opens everything up. The moment you have to even give him step up a little bit on that, he'll burn by you. So, yeah. He's and Karthik, this, by the way, think about yeah. this, right? In these playoffs alone, how hard is it? We have a four-game sample size. That's barely any amount of time. Yet, almost every star has had at least one clunker, like yeah. really bad clunker. Anthony Davis, right, has terrible game two. Um, you know, uh, Giannis, well, he got hurt, so it doesn't really count. But, like, Donovan Mitchell was terrible in game four. You know, like, Joel Embiid was horrible in game three before he got injured. And these are first-team All-NBA guys, second-team All-NBA guys. Like, how hard is it to be that good and that consistent game after game? The number of guys that, bam, out of bio, right, even that second-tier start. DeMontis Sabonis, who has not played great offensively, like, for Fox to do what he's done and be consistent every single night, game three, you know, he didn't shoot well, but he was pr- productive at least. It's basically like five or six guys that have stood out this playoffs to me. Butler, Curry, Booker, Fox, and uh, probably and Kawhi when he was there, maybe Durant. Like that, That's it. And that's the list right now with how well he's played night to night. Even Jason Tatum's had bad. Like the consistency so far, I mean, just how much they rely on him, it's incredible. It's incredible, and his defense, I think, is not talked about enough. He has been so good defensively, hounding the Warriors, fighting over picks, um, getting into passing lanes, deflecting, poking the ball away in in half-court situations. I I think his defense has been also somewhat unsung, and I think he has more to tap into on that side of the ball. This is his first year really being a plus defender. And yeah, man, I, I think I think it's just good to have the confidence that this is a not just a star, but a franchise changing player, which I think this playoffs has confirmed for everyone. This is a guy that can be your one A. I think they need a lot more to build around this roster. Sabonis needs to, you know, uh, play much better. But the fact that they're going toe to toe the Warriors and the shooting has not been falling, your second best player Sabonis has not been playing up to his standards. You're you're not getting you're getting zero games from at least two of the three guys when we talk about Herder, Monk, um, Murray, Keegan. Despite all of that, and despite Barnes Curry, like you said, down. being cons- yeah, Barnes added him into that mix, and despite Curry being consistently good every game, we're in this two two. So I think it's the finger it's the finger news sucks because if he's limited and it's on his shooting hand, um, if it was on his right hand, I wouldn't even worry about it. But it's on his shooting hand, and it's like if that limits him at all, it's going to be really hard because both games in Sacramento were close too, right? The Kings were actually a better road team than they were a home team this season, just by record. And so neither of those have been a gimme. And Draymond is just putting 
Sabonis in torture chamber um, offensively, despite Sabonis' best uh, attempts to just hammer people with the basketball. But I just think, man, basketball-wise, obviously you know how much Game 4 hurt to not have that shot go down, especially with the way Steph kind of put the game on a platter for the Kings at the end. But it's impressive. I mean, you build off of this, but I know you as a fan and any fan, once you're in the moment, you're not thinking about building off of it. You're like, we can win this damn series. Like, what are we doing? We're, we're making mistakes on our own. Our guys are not hitting shots. Like, the Kings' worst two shooting games of the whole season on wide open threes were games two and game three. Mm-hmm. They were able to make it out of game two with a win, which was crucial. But game three, without Draymond, a bunch of open looks, you know, in Steph's house, he obviously took it to him, and they weren't able to withstand. So you still have the chance to take care of business at home and send it to a must-win in game six, but does feel a little bit like game four was the one that got away. And if we, if the Warriors advance, you're going to look back on all the missed opportunities, the turnovers, the sloppy play down the stretch and say, you know, the four shots from, from uh, Monk and from Barnes and such and say, okay, was that the, was that the turning point, which is annoying because you just never know. You can't take anything for granted in this league. Yeah. And it's easy to say, look, the Kings should have been three and one because they could have won that game. But then I can point to game one and be like, the Warriors were in the same situation. Even before Steph's runner, remember Wiggins had a wide open three right. and missed it. Wide open, yeah. Then Steph had a shot. So I'm not going to feel bad about that. This is a close series. It's just, I think what what's so what sucks so much is they played a complete game finally. Mm-hmm. And outside of the last two minutes, I think the two minutes got a little hectic. I thought they just played fantastically on both sides of the ball. Outside of Sabonis, the whole team just did a marvelous job. And that's all you can ask from them. Put yourself in a position to steal one on the road and to lose it like at the end like that. And now the Warriors have all the momentum coming back into game five. You're dealing with a Fox injury. It's a lot to overcome. So I hope they can figure it out. But um, the other thing is, though, I'm like falling in love with the concept of guys who just like to play basketball because it feels like such a rarity in today's game. Right. When I see Durant and Booker. And we're going to get to that series. When I see them logging 44, 45 minutes a night, they're one and two in the playoffs in minutes per game, right? When I see Sabonis and Fox and all these Kings guys logging basically 75-plus games each uh, in the regular season, then you look at, like, a Zion, right? You look at a Ben Simmons. You look at even Kawhi Leonard, who just randomly decided to miss the last three games of the season. I'm not saying he's not hurt, but come on, dude. Like, you think other guys are – like, is LeBron sitting out with, with um, a sore knee? Probably not. Right. And so just the concept and the Kings, I think more than any team in this league exemplified this because they just came to work every day. And that's like honestly hard to count on when it used to be that if you didn't play 70 games, you had some type of major injury or nursing. Now it's like none of the MVP candidates got there, like the whole deal. It's like it's a new NBA and I get it. But I like that every time I watch the Kings, I know that Fox and Zabonis are going to be on the court and they're going to be doing their thing. And it's like you can't take that for granted because it doesn't happen everywhere. And they gutted through injuries. Um, yeah. Sabonis played through an injury all season long. And I think, yeah, it's, I just want them to get rewarded for that. I want them to survive this series. Win. I mean, look, one of the biggest benefits of the Kings this year has been the cohesion because all their guys have played minutes. You know, with, with Golden State, you're getting Wiggins back. You're getting GP2 back. You're yanking Draymond in and out of the lineup. With the Kings, we've had continuity. Um, to the point where Alex Lund, even... He who he didn't he didn't get many minutes in the regular season at all, but that this team is so clicked in and bought into every, what everyone's doing and plays seamlessly that Alex Men can give you big minutes and he has this series. 
so it's a, it's all a testament to Mike Brown, honestly. Like this is a coach. I I think we're all convinced he's going to be in the same lines of Spolstra, Carlisle, Popovich. Not in terms of Popovich good, but just long tenures with one team. Like there's no reason he can't spend 10, 15 years. This feels sustainable from the way he coaches, from what he demands from players, I think. Um, It'll be interesting on that point because those other guys you mentioned have never been anywhere else. And Mike Brown had two coaching stops that didn't go well, um, even though those Cleveland teams won 60-plus games. And he was the one that took them to the finals, right? Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they were kind of overmatched. Uh, in a lot of ways, they were carried by LeBron. And then the Lakers' senior offers obviously didn't end well. I hope he's found a home here because it seems like he gels with the team, with the ownership, with the city, and they get it. And they like that accountability. You know, but here's the challenge, right? You just, like I said, you never know what next season brings. Look at a team like Memphis, who won 54 games last year. They built off of being an eight seed the year prior. Last year, they go up against the Warriors. Steph gets hurt. They say, okay, we're going to come back. Sorry, uh, John Morant gets hurt. They're going to say, okay, we're going to come back. We have the Warriors where we wanted them if our best player didn't get hurt. What happens this year? Again, the two seed, best home record in the whole NBA. They draw the Los Angeles Lakers. And suddenly you're looking at, you know, they've actually, the game is going on right now. They cut the lead from 15 to two at half. But you're looking at a situation where Memphis could be facing around one out, right? And what do they do then? What's their vision? And so that's why you can never count on it. So when it's in front of you, you got to go get it. Um, you know, I think Steph is just, I mean, rooting against Steph as a general bystander is hard enough. Rooting against him when it's your team on the line must be the most painful experience in the world. It, it absolutely is. Um, and we're hyper aware, uh, you know, Kings fans are hyper aware of the fact that this is not a three seed next year. No chance in hell. Like, yeah. we, we should theoretically only get better, but we're not going to have the same health. The West is going to get better. And so you can't take anything for granted. Next year, we could be in the play-in. And then one fluke bad game, we're bounced. So I, I don't know. By no means is this just a steady upwards trajectory. But that's why, like, this Warriors team is vulnerable. The Memphis Grizzlies, the Lakers are vulnerable. So... I'd be lying if I told you I didn't think about a trip to the conference finals. And then you, who knows by then if it's Phoenix, if it's Denver, if there's an injury and anything, can and then in the East, that, you know, what's happening in the East, you start talking yourself even <laughs> yeah. further. And all of a I've, sudden I'm talking titles. Dude, I've been there game six versus Celtics. When we wore the funeral <laughs> clothes, I was already packing for the, for the parade that season. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I mean, I do, so, okay, anything else? Because I do have something I need to get off my chest. I was going to give you an alley-oop to ask you what was the better home environment, game one versus game three. You know, I, I will say uh, game one, first of all, they don't even compare. Game three, I will give the benefit of the doubt to the Warriors fans. It's a weekday, uh, Thursday, so people trickled in. Like, if you look at the stadium at tip-off, it was maybe 60% full. Yep. Whereas the... Golden One Center was 100% full 25 minutes before tip. Yeah, so but that's, pictures, that was wild. Yeah, but but I mean, it did get loud. It did get packed, but it was it was not the same, man. And I went to the game with, you know, my friend Chint, who's a longtime Warriors fan, season ticket holder. Even he said this is not as loud as he expected it would be, Chase would be. So, you know, they get loud. When Steph hits a three, they, you know, they're, they're go crazy, but... And they have the you compare and contrast. Like, it was not the same at all. Yeah, they're thinking four rounds, right? They got a little bit of fatigue of like, okay, this is game one, round one. We got a long way to go. And they've done this so many times, right? This is like right. what in the last how many years? The twentieth, thirtieth playoffs. I don't know what number. Six finals and four titles in the last eight years for the Warriors. 
Yeah. So I, it's, and it's not that bad. You know what, Warriors fans, um, you know, I had my Doug Christie jersey on. Talked a little trash with some of the fans after the game. Um, it was all pretty friendly for the most part. Nothing bad. How but did I, you go with Peja after game one when you wore Peja? I wore my Doug, well, my Doug Christie jersey I got for my 16th birthday. It's like 20 years old, almost 20 years old. Um, so I know. I wanted to wear, wear really old one? jersey because wear? my Peja yeah. jersey I only bought in the last year. But what did you wear game one? The Peja jersey. Okay, yeah, so you should have just worn that again. That's good luck. Yeah, but the Page jersey felt a little too new. I need to show these Warriors fans that I've been through it, so I I bought up the <laughs> oldest jersey I had. That's kind of got the main it, thing. Got it, got um, it. Well, then you should have brought a Tyreek uh, Evans jersey out because you've really been through it at that point. <laughs> I had my I have a Kevin Martin jersey. I could have brought that. Yeah, there you go. There um, you go. I will say I've, I've been very disappointed with one thing in this series, right? And look, the Draymond, I'm not going to, the Draymond thing's over. It's been litigated to the death. Um, I'm not going to talk about the suspension. He didn't necessarily have to get suspended. I think the thing I have the problem with the most is the amount of whining that came out of the Warriors organization, the Warriors coaches and players. The Warriors fan base. Now, not all Warriors fans. A lot of Warrior fans in my life are very reasonable. A lot of fans I met at the stadium, very reasonable. But we talk about the bloggers, the, you know, Twitter. Um, There was so much complaining when they went down 0-2. And the kinds of complaints, I mean, first of all, they called us dirty. They called Sabonis dirty, a player who's never had any track record of being dirty. They call, I mean, the they're just talking about us playing physical and fouling. I mean, this Kings team all year long was called soft because defensively we were a sieve. And all of a sudden now we're these bullies in the playoffs. And I just did not like the way they responded to the Draymond situation. I think the Kings on one hand were very, you know, despite him stomping on Sabonis, they did not make it a big deal. But the Warriors were constantly chirping. And Steve Kerr, you know, as much as respect as I have for Steve Kerr and how good of a coach he's been, he's an enabler of Draymond's behavior. And once again, his exact quote after all that was, there's no stopping Draymond. You can't put your arm around him and say, okay, calm down. It's okay. We accept Draymond for who he is and what he stands for because, frankly, it makes us win. And I think this is an organization that is a complete front-running organization over the years. Doesn't take away from their championships. Doesn't take away from their success, but they love it when things go their way. They love to rub it in your face. When they win a championship, Clay Thompson, the first thing he talks about is the Memphis Grizzlies. And, you know, the first thing he does this season when he wants to taunt is throw up the four rings. They love it when they're ahead. The moment they go down, these guys are the biggest bitches in the world. And this is top <laughs> down organization, fans, bloggers, everything. Because you can't handle going down 0-2 to a team that's out running you, that's out physically, you know, uh, matching against you, that is out shooting you. Not even out shooting you. We're winning, but despite not out shooting them. And I just can't believe that after two games, all I had to hear, instead of the Kings finally being up 2-0, having playoff success, playing a beautiful brand of basketball, 
I had to put up with just all this inane bullshit around the Warriors, Sabonis using the ball as a weapon, the Kings getting away with calls. Like, what is this? This is the first round. This isn't even the finals. Why is it getting so contentious? So anyways, that's all Great. gone. And now magically the series is 2-2 and there's no more complaining about the refs. Um, I'm not going to talk about it. I think it's fine. But I just have to get that rant off my chest. I've been holding it in for four or five days. It's, it's a great rant. It's just it's disappointing. Awesome rant. From a four-time champ, like you think they'd run themselves like the San Antonio Spurs, but they take the kind of cowardly identity of, of Draymond Green, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, they're the worst. Um, pretty much, if you want to encapsulate all of what you said into one NBA Twitter personality, it's uh, Sam Esfandiari or whatever. If you follow him or if you've seen I've him. I've seen that guy on Twitter. Yep. He sucks just like pretty much all of the Warriors ecosystem. And the problem is like, I think there's another world. As much as Steph is a ringleader of a lot of the arrogance, he is true, true greatness, right? Like I yep. feel like Steph is, I'm just not thinking of his greatness in the, or his, his uh, arrogance in the same manner that I'm thinking of the other guys because his like level of skill and talent and just just you know general sense of the moment and the whole deal is 10 out of 10 at everything right but it's all the other guys who are like hangers on even a guy like clay who's a superstar is not who he is without that ecosystem i promise you everyone who's like you know draymond would be the same everywhere no he wouldn't because his in his deficiencies get covered up in a way that they wouldn't get covered up anywhere else and I'm not comparing Rui Hachimura to Draymond Green because Draymond Green's an all-time defender. He's a Hall of Famer, et cetera. But think about the way the Lakers talk up Rui Hachimura, right, in the fan base. That's literally the same player he was in Washington, except we didn't <laughs> flank him with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So it's going to look better. But nonetheless, totally agree with all of that. Um, I was rooting like hell for the Kings. I am rooting like hell for the Kings. I don't know why I'm speaking in past tense. It's 2-2. Home team has won every game. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going for all seven, and we'll see We'll see the Kings in round two. How about that? The last thing I'll say is, look, I, I know I'm being unfair to the Warriors. Their organization's not that bad. It's not, right? They. It's Why are you, you going to back off the rant within, like, 35 seconds of making it? No, no. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, I respect what they've done. I respect Steph Curry. I, my respect for him has only grown the last couple of seasons, seeing what he's been able to do without Durant. Um, you know, with a much more limited roster defensively. Uh, I, I just think this is just not what you want to hear from from a champion. This is a defending champs. Like, why they have this victim complex, it it, it just amazes me why that's still there for them. They've gotten yeah. their flowers. Yep. All right, we got to move on. This is almost half an hour on one of eight series. Granted, this has the, been the most fun series for sure. But... uh but let's let's keep it moving. I do you want to make a final prediction before we move off of it? Is there a heart versus head dis- disparity? Yeah, heart would be Kings and seven with no Fox injury. Head is Warriors and six. Warriors and six is what I predicted pre uh, pre series. Same. Same. Definitely did not feel like it was trending that way after two games for obvious reasons. But now if Fox is limited, basically whoever wins game five will win the series, I think. And that includes I'm picking Kings at home in a game seven versus Steph, just because I think the Warriors have whatever unsolvable problems on the road. So we'll see if they can solve them in game five. If they don't win that, I think 
if they do win that, then they close them out pretty handily at home in game six. That one, we've seen that script a few times. So, yep. All right. Where do you want to go to next? You pick the next series. Let's talk about Miami. I guess we have to talk about Heat Bucks. Okay. We have yep. to talk yep. about Jimmy. Yep. yep. Oh my God. So Giannis plays 11 minutes um, in game one, has a terrible fall with another stupid charge foul that Kevin Love slides in after Giannis is airborne, falls on his tailbone. He actually comes back, dominates for like one play exactly, and then goes down again. Um, and pretty much gone for, for through game three. So he took a 2-1 lead. It was one of those things where the, you know, the, the Bucks have been pretty decent without Giannis this season. He, you know, he missed 19 games, but a lot of that was actually against subpar competition. Miami does the same thing they do every year where they look like shit and everyone's like, is this it for the heat? What's going on with them? And then they awaken in the playoffs, like nothing's ever happened. So all this leads up to tonight. Um, Jimmy has already been outstanding in this series, right? He was averaging 30 a game going into this series. He put up 53 fucking points, uh, heat playoff record. Uh, so I guess he's averaging over 35 a game now. But the crazy thing is, the Bucks, despite all that, because Jimmy was cooking from like this moment this game started. I think he had like 20 in the first quarter, maybe if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they're up 98-85 in the fourth. That's actually when I stopped watching, believe it or not. Then my phone starts blowing up. And it's like Jimmy, he's him. This is the guy. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? So I put it back. And it's 104-102, and Giannis is at the line. I'm like, okay, maybe Bucks still close it out. Then Butler con- continues to make like eight straight ridiculous plays, and now the Heat are up 3-1 on the Bucks, who were the odds-on betting favorite going into the playoffs, who you know were pretty much thought of as the title favorites last year had Middleton not gotten hurt. So it was all going to crescendo into winning their second championship and Giannis riding off into the sunset. So... I don't even know where to start, but given that Giannis was out for three games, it's hard to make sense of that. But what did you think of tonight where he comes back, they're comfortable, and then Butler goes to a tier that we have not seen uh, really from anybody, I think, in this playoffs? I I have no words. This is possibly the greatest playoff performance I've ever seen. And I'm I'm a LeBron guy. I've what? got a long list of LeBron. That might have been more of an overreaction than me saying Fox was maybe the best player in the world. Like, <laughs> I, mean, start with Fox. I mean, let me just read some of the stats, right? Some, um, so first of all, 56 points in a 15-point comeback win. That's the most in a 15-point comeback win since Jordan in Game 3 of the 92 uh, first round versus the Heat. Did he finish with how many? 56, 56 or 54? 53. He had 56. Oh, my God. Okay. Next, most points all time in a playoff game. Jordan, 63. Elgin Baylor, 57. Donovan Mitchell, 50. Sorry, Jordan, 63. Elgin Baylor, 61. Then Donovan Mitchell, 57. And Jimmy, 56. So the fourth highest scoring playoff game of all time. Most in postseason history in a franchise that has LeBron, Wade. He's now got the lead. And he did this against, granted, Giannis coming off an injury, but one of the best defensive teams, candidate, defensive player of the year candidate in Brook Lopez, MVP candidate in Giannis. And he did it on a Heat team that across the rest of the roster struggled mightily. 
Bam was the next leading scorer, but he didn't shoot well, six for 16. They did not. I mean, Duncan Robinson's been great this series. They did not get anything out of him, nothing out of Lowry, nothing out of Love. This was a one-man show. And so when you add all of that together, granted it's in the first round, so maybe I jumped the gun with the best ever, but it's got to be a top five performance. No, I mean, dude, look, like, and Giannis, I know it's his first game back, but he had a triple-double, right? He had 26, 12, and 10, oh, yeah. I he think. he played well, yeah. So 26, 13, and 10, so it's not like he didn't play well. I'm stunned. I'm really, really stunned, like, Butler's done some crazy shit. Like, he had some stuff in last year's run that was potentially as good as this. It's a whole different planet right now um, with the way he's playing. I mean, like I said, he was already killing it for the first three games of the series. There doesn't seem to be anybody that can stop him. I think we should put a pause on the Drew Holiday, like, let's build a statue of him and rename the Defensive Player of the Year trophy after him after this series if he can't contest. Like, what other matchup could he be perfect for than stopping a wing guy who's get unconscious similar Giannis one of the reasons I'm not in love with all the Giannis you know advanced numbers on defense and things like that is he's not a Jaron Jackson Jr. level rim protector right he's also not a guy that can guard a perimeter guy who's going off which is what you'd think he would do if necessary right like if you remember two years ago when the Bucks Nets had that crazy series and Kevin Durant was going wild, they didn't put Giannis on him ever. It was always P.J. Tucker, a little bit of Pat Connaughton if they wanted to get murdered, Chris Middleton, etc. They never really put Giannis on KD. And that's frustrating because it's like you have all these all-world defenders all over the court, yet you need to stop one guy. Like you said, you just read what everyone else did, and their second-highest scorer went 6 of 16. Their next-highest score after that went you know, from starter at least went four of 13. So what are you guys looking at offensively, if not for this? And this is without Tyler Hero. There's really no other ISO score that can create. I just don't know how you let this happen. I mean, as good as Jimmy Butler is, and he's phenomenal, like playoff Jimmy is maybe a top eight player in the league. Like there's no excuse for this when you're as good as the Buck defense as the Bucks are, because that's been their calling card. This is a mediocre offense. It has been all year. It was last season. So this is their calling card to not, be able to get stops down the stretch when they really have one offense is, I don't know. I mean, do you think this series is over? No, no, not by any means. I think Milwaukee can come back. Um, I, I still don't trust Miami completely, but it's it's close. And look, Milwaukee's been here before. They've exited early, and, and I think for Drew Holiday, this really seemed like his best offensive year. On the on the Bucks. I mean, part of that was you know the games that Giannis missed. He was really he, he kind of took the torch and and was really great offensively and defensively. He's gotten a lot of credit as well. And I agree. Like you've got three all def- like three all NBA defenders in Holiday, Lopez, and Giannis, and nothing can st- at all levels. You're talking about guard, middle, post, and mm-hmm. there's nothing they can do to stop Jimmy. And the Heat have been shooting really, really well. I mean, I think that the story of, of the series has been what made the Heat so good last year was their just insane three-point shooting percentages, which completely flipped this season. They've been shooting well from three. They've found ways to free up Duncan Robinson, get him going. Yep. Um, that's, this that's, game, I they mean, didn't get the same kind like, of shooting, but still 40%. Like, they're shooting. 
And this has always been the Bucks' problem. They've always been a defense that is good at funneling you in, um, you know, to they're really good at protecting the rim, but they'll give up threes. And that's a dangerous game to play. And with Jimmy Butler, when he's also stroking from three, it's just a recipe for disaster. And this, I think, is an indictment really on Bud. I, like, he's won a championship. I don't think he's going anywhere, but we've seen time and time after again Coach Bud getting out coached in a series like this. And I yeah. think part of it is on him. Look, uh, revitalizing Duncan Robinson, I think, goes on Eric Spolster's tombstone as the number one accomplishment of his career, ahead of winning two titles with the Heatles, ahead of the bubble finals run with Jimmy. Like, I can't even believe this guy is being brought out from the, I don't know, from the sarcophagus he's been hiding in for the last two years to actually be productive because they have no one else. And guess what? He's making shots. Like, if you look at, you know, like you said, they the, the shooting for the for the Heat this season was pretty much anemic, right, all year. Now you look at it, and I think they're shooting 40, just under 50% from three in the series, um, which, of course, is bonkers. And you could argue maybe a little bit of mean reversion reversion of the means coming. But I don't think the series is over. But the Bucs, with as inconsistent as they are offensively, I also don't know if they can string together three wins. Like, I think it's going to be really, really hard for them. Now they get two of them at home, right? So you go home in game five, take care of business at least send it back to Miami, which isn't necessarily a great home crowd, so you can talk yourself into it. But am I supposed to believe that, like, Chris Middleton, who's looked pedestrian, right? Drew Holiday, who's had up-and-down games. He was amazing in a couple games. He had, like, 15 assists one game. He was 30 points the next. Then you have Giannis, but, like, those are – it's, like, Giannis and Drew, who are two kind of inefficient from the outside players, and Chris Middleton, who's still rusty and doesn't look like himself, versus a Heat team that's fully locked in, who knows who they are, and – as much as I thought they were going to punish and bully Bam down low, they haven't really, I mean, Brooke Lopez has played very well, but they haven't really been able to make them pay because they can't get stops defensively, which is very strange to watch. Um, I just, I have a hard time thinking at this point that Milwaukee's going to win the series. Even though they had won tonight, I thought they were going to coast. It's just hard to win three straight games, man. I think 92, 93% of series that are 3-1 end with that way. I think it might be, or 95%, something like that. So this isn't common. I mean, we've seen it, obviously, at the biggest stage we saw it. But, you know, Giannis has got to go hero mode um, with no mistakes. And they've got a gauntlet waiting for them. If they do escape in the series, it'll have to be in seven. And then you have to go up against Embiid. You got to go up against Boston, potentially. Hey, um, don't rule out the Knicks, man. Brunson might give them fits. Or Brunson, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. First, they have to go through the Knicks, which right. already is going to be a, a challenge. So, I uh, I, I still... Uh, so okay. I, I'm going to say Milwaukee comes back and wins this. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, here's the problem. Middleton's their late game offense guy. You saw it tonight. Like when they were trying to get buckets down the stretch, their answer was only like Giannis barreling into the rim, right? And they give calls a lot less frequently down the stretch with that exact play than they do earlier in the game. And so they were able to succeed in the half court because Middleton would be able to create his own shot. Now that's just not happening. He's not getting the separation. I don't know if he's healthy, not healthy. He's still rusty or if he's just lost a step, but he doesn't look like a guy who was basically 20 points a game on 50, 40, 90. And so that's a big loss because he was your only real weapon in the half court. 
I Middleton, I mean, this reminds me of the 2020 playoffs where I think they relied a little bit too heavily on Giannis late game. It was much easier to game plan against um, to get him out of his actions and Middleton did not do much and they lost. They, they flamed out right early. Yep. Um, I, I think, but I just think defensively they have so much room to play better. I, I just think this, these last few games have been an absolute disaster. I think with, I think they'll they'll be able to slow down Jimmy just enough, and and I don't trust anyone in the Heat in any of these games. Like Lowry started off with a great game, um, or started off well in the uh, play-in. He's been a non-factor. Like, where are they going to get the offense from? Jimmy Butler yeah. can't be fifty percent of your offense. Hero's gone. Oladipo's gone. That's uh, we're talking about. You know, two of your top top guys out of the rotation. Not getting anything from Lowry. Love is easy to take out of the game. Gabe Vincent's disappeared. Struess. I mean, all these guys. I don't see it sustain. I don't know. They only need to win one more. Yeah, that's but the I thing. just, I just trust the Bucks too much to to find a way to pull this through. So that's why. Do they get the one random like you know Gabe Vincent six three game or Max Struess five threes? You know, do they get the one Bam game where he's like twenty eight and twelve? Right, we still haven't really seen that from him. And they've been up 3-1. So, yes, they've been counting on superhuman performances from Jimmy. But they're still the types of games they can win where he doesn't play that well. Um, yep. And honestly, though, he never he never really plays poorly in the playoffs. Like, he's kind of like, back to the point I was talking about up top, how many guys are just good every night. He's on that short list. So, all right, let's move on to two yeah, other I mean, guys. Okay, so yeah, who, who is on that list? Because I think, I think now yes. Fox is trending towards being on that list. We need a little bit more wow. sample size, but he's been on that list this year. I think Kevin Durant's on that list. I think Steph Curry's on that list. Uh, I think Steph Curry, actually now probably, but I think three years ago. Yeah, I mean, Steph look, he's... would have clunkers left and right. He would, but for the most part, yeah. I mean, he would have clunkers. clunkers. I mean, Kevin Durant had clunkers all through last year's playoffs versus Boston, right? So it's not like they never, ever happened, but for the most part, I think night to night the most bankable guys in the league. I think, I don't know that Embiid's on that list. He's not to me as a playoff guy. Like talk about having clunkers. Like when is Embiid put together 10 dominant playoff games in a row or even in one playoff stretch? Like he just has not done that. I can't put him there. Um, yeah. Even in this net series, he couldn't even string it a full four games of dominance. Right. I think. Yeah. Game and three. I get it. I get it. Like they were doubling him, sometimes tripling him. So he's like, let me take what the defense gives me. But I thought he was ineffective. He didn't play well. And if it's a simple double team, that's going to throw you off like that, you know, and I know they swept him, but I didn't think Philly looked phenomenal versus that versus a pretty bad Brooklyn team. Um, I don't think Tatum's on that list. He's got way too much variance night to night. Um, I think it's Kawhi. If he plays, it's, Curry, it's Durant, and Booker. And Luca. I mean, Luca's Luca's on that list. But he just sadly didn't yeah. join us this year. So so tell me this, right? Just big picture. Jimmy Butler likely is not winning another title. Maybe uh, not in Miami, he, he, probably, yeah. Not in Miami. Yeah, he could go somewhere else and win it. Uh, but he may not be the number one guy. Just the odds, right? Let's say the odds are not. Because he's getting older, too. No rings. If you just, you know, 20 years from now, you look at his basketball reference page, 
the stats don't jump out to you. Mm-hmm. How do you think he gets remembered? Because this four-year kind of postseason run he's had has been so dominant despite not having the hardware to show for it. So do you think he... But his his, his resume does not jump off the page in a lot of ways. So how do you think he gets remembered? It's a really good question because we now have this new era of players who have kind of punted on the regular season, even earlier in their career. And he was like on the right side of 30 already kind of foregoing playing a lot of games or playing very hard in the regular season. You know, part of this conversation is, is he even hall of famer? And I would say resume wise right now, you would argue probably not. Right. Um, or if he is, he's like on the cusp. Um, trying to think who he gets who who would be a similar comp to him like on one hand he's more accomplished just from like a resume standpoint like accolades than a guy like Reggie Miller who I think can oftentimes get overrated because of the playoff chops so you could argue that that's like the comp for him where years from now Reggie Miller who did not win a title who did get to play in one finals and multiple conference finals was sort of like that era as Jimmy Butler where he always rose to the moment he always went toe to toe you know, Reggie versus Jordan, uh, Butler versus LeBron, you know, that kind of, I mean, granted the bubble finals wasn't exactly iconic. We're not going (laughs) to be telling our grandkids about it, but you know, maybe that's the mold for him where he's really, really one of the best players in the league and thought of as among the best players in the league, but the stats aren't going to always reflect it. And so we're going to have to just like carry the, the stories more than the stats will say. Iverson. Iverson had an MVP. That's the difference. But yep. I think he was also a one-man kind of wrecking crew. Took a lot of teams far. Never won at all. One finals appearance. Iverson, to me... And the culture loved him. Yeah, the culture loved I think the thing is, Iverson was more productive, right? Iverson was a 25,000-point scorer. He played every night. He averaged huge numbers. So it's really a guy who doesn't do as much. But you can count on them when it matters. That's why I went Reggie, whose stats are not going to blow you away, but who was a clutch player, who was kind of primetime performer, and you knew when the lights were brightest, he was coming. Yep. That's a good one. All right. Let's now 46 minutes through two series. (laughs) So let's talk Suns. The Suns are up 3-1. I actually predicted Suns in five, which looked stupid as hell after game one. After game two, I was still pretty much convinced that they were going to be in a dogfight with or without Paul George. Lo and behold, Kawhi Leonard's potentially out for the rest of the series. He missed game three and four. It was already announced he's going to miss game five tomorrow night. Like I said, Booker and Durant are one and two in the NBA in minutes right now in the playoffs. Booker's been flat out insane, like really next tier amazing. Like he looks like a top five to 10 guy uh, right now. But you can't help but be a little disappointed by the Suns team, who again has only lost one time with Kevin Durant in the lineup, yet. 12 and one, not all 12 and ones are the same, I guess, because what they're playing against night to night, both in this series, as well as who they played in the regular season are not, you know, the a crop level teams. And they're barely skating by because they have no depth. They have no easy shot creation. It's asking two superstars to be superstars every night. So while they probably will get past the Clippers, 
I think a lot of work remains ahead for this Phoenix team if they want to make a deep run. They have a lot. They have not inspired any confidence. I think multiple reasons. Like you said, they are relying on heavy, heavy minutes out of Booker, uh, Durant, even Paul to a certain extent. The depth is is really bad. And Chris Paul's had some games, but um, you know he had nineteen and nine uh, recently. I I think their issue is going to be how can these guys continue to play this heavy minutes throughout the whole postseason um booker has been absolutely incredible but it's a lot they're fighting like tooth and nail in these games against la and mm-hmm. and what russ is able to do to them i'm just worried about the next se- next couple of rounds that they're gonna have to face defensively they don't seem to have figured it out offensively they're a three-man wrecking crew uh it, they're not inspiring a lot of confidence. But at the same time, I think you can also look at it as they're working out all the kinks, and it's perfect that they got this Kawhi-less, Paul George-less version of the Clippers now, at least what it looks like for the rest of the series, mm-hmm. that they can continue to iron out those kinks. And then even when they go into the next round, you're playing, uh, who is it? Well, you're playing Denver, who, yeah. as good as Denver is, they're beatable. And so... I think I think they'll probably be okay. They were my finals pick. I don't feel great about it now, but I still still don't know anyone else in the West that's convincing convincingly better yet. Yeah, I mean, I have Suns over Bucks. We never really did finals picks on the pod. I had Suns over Bucks in six, and the Bucks are on life support, and the Suns look like they want to be on life support. So I'm not really sure what to think. When we said this season was wide open, I guess it, we really damn meant it because it's I, I, if you. Gun to my head, if you ask me who my pick was now, I had the option to pick someone different. I go Celtics one for sure as like the most likely champion. And then two through like six are all question marks. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe this, like if you look at it, right, Kevin Durant is at, and, and Devin Booker are both at 44 minutes a game and they're both shooting 67% true shooting percentage. <laughs> So they're playing ridiculous basketball, and they're still, to your point, barely winning. They they have 50 total um, bench points in four games. They're getting very uneven performances shooting the ball. Chris Paul's only shooting 40% from the field, 29% from three. You know, DeAndre Ayton is kind of rebounding, but just 15 points a game. Torrey Craig is their third leading scorer, who's got ex- absurd shooting clips, and you know that's going to regress. We, we talked a lot about could they find the fifth guy and then did it matter? I think the problem is it wouldn't matter if the third and fourth were secure and those guys are playing very flimsy too night to night. So really we have a two-man team. Um, you, you, you look at Denver and Denver I thought lost a winnable game in game four, but it's fine. They're up 3-0 and I expect them to take care of business tomorrow. Jamal Murray is going to go absolutely bonkers against this defense. Right? Like, how are they going to contain him? Chris Paul can't stay in front of him anymore. And Westbrook's a different type of animal to uh, to Murray, but they're both going to be more athletic than Paul. They're both going to get to their spots. And, you know, in either case, like, granted, I don't think that Denver has nearly the number of wings to throw at um, Duran and, and, and Booker, but they still have KCP. They still have Aaron Gordon. You know, they have an improved Michael Porter Jr. Bruce Brown is going to be annoying. Like, it's not like they have nobody. And so 
Phoenix is 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 going to win this series. Like I said, I don't think they would have won with the healthy Clippers team. That much is that much is clear to me now. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're not getting. We we talked about the the depth going into the postseason, and guys like Ish Wainwright, would he get time? Landry Shamit, um, TJ Warren, would he play a role? And I think the answer is right now it's only Tory Craig that's really emerged for them as a dependable piece and. Right after that, after Torrey Craig, your fifth best player or sixth best player is a Kogi. He's averaging 4.8 points a game in 17 minutes. They're just, I just feel like any team that ultimately wins a title, you need seven. I just feel like that's a magic number. You need seven productive guys. And right now, I don't know where they're getting it from. And they have such a margin of error with the Clippers that, like you said, they're not going to have that margin in the next round. Yep. Um, and Paul playing 39, you talk about Booker and Durant, Paul's playing 39 minutes a game. Yeah. It, it, none of this I mean, feels he's the gonna, same. He's going to fall the apart. The thing is, the one good thing you could say is Durant has still not truly been Durant. Yeah. And, and they haven't so, used him yeah. to his full extent, despite the heavy minutes. Uh, so... Right, and so there's an argument to be made. It's like, well, you know, we still don't have, like, the version of Durant. Like, he's only averaging, like, he's averaging under 17 field goals a game, right? For example, Devin Booker has taken 25 more shots than than Kevin Durant through four games. And Devin Booker's shots have obviously been great, and so it's not like you would pull back on him. But Chris Paul has only taken nine fewer shots than Kevin Durant. Of course. Let me name some players who've shot more than Durant. Okay. Tyrese Maxey. Yep. He's been good. Desmond Bain. Not been so good. Darius Garland. Been okay, but inconsistent. Drew Holiday. Like, why are these guys shooting more than Durant? And and it's not that he hasn't played minutes, because he's playing one of the heaviest minute workloads out of anyone in the league. So I thought it was really I, Mont- jarring I, in game one. Because in game one, I thought they lost the game because he didn't play more aggressively, and Kawhi was, like, eating his lunch. And it mm-hmm. happened again in game two, except Chris Paul made shots down the stretch. So it was okay. It's really been a theme, especially down the stretch of these games more than early on. And I, I put part of that on Monty, but at the same time, Booker has been so good that they run everything through him. Yeah. And it's worked so far. So we'll see right. it, this series. This series is likely over, but I I'm actually so excited to see Denver Phoenix. If there was um, ever a time for Denver to make a run and get the demons off of Jokic and really put this team in a light that it deserves, given how good he is individually, it's to beat this Phoenix team. Like, there should be no excuses to lose to Phoenix if you're Denver. Home court advantage, depth, continuity, you know, maybe the best player in the game. Maybe not, depending on, you know, how well Booker, but you have an argument for you have the best player on the floor at any given moment. You got to win this series. You got to put this one home, I think. Yep. So, all right. Um, Knicks Cavs. Knicks Cavs. This is a rock fight. This is the true 90s basketball Knicks right now with the way they're playing, led by just absolute stud Jalen Brunson. Um, Julius Randle, who. Maybe the one guy of the two of the two that makes All NBA this year, which we both voted for him or selected him, fake voted for him. Brunson's been a killer, whereas Randall's been sort of bad. Um, 
And, you know, I got a lot of thoughts about Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and the comparisons, especially some prominent folks in the media were making about Mobley early on in his rookie year. But you cannot tell me that this guy should be averaging 10 points a game if he's the next Kevin Garnett. I'm sorry. It just can't can't be possible. Um, And so... Really, I think, disastrous series for him. And Jalen Brunson's been the best player on the floor in the series that has two superstar guards on the other end. But yeah, and both teams have been completely focused on taking out the other team's lead guards. Mm-hmm. Cleveland is sending blitzes at Brunson for so many of these possessions, but he's been good at getting the ball out or kind of being able to work around that. And whereas Garland and Mitchell are trading, I think they're trading off good and bad games. Last game, Mitchell shot five for 18. He was bad. Garland played well in the game before that. Garland struggled. So they're not able to get consistent performances. And Jalen Brunson, man, I have to say, you talked about guys whose stock rose this postseason. Fox being kind of the number one guy. I think Brunson, we saw this obviously in Dallas, but it was in, a limited role. You have Luca to fall back on. This Knicks team with Julius Randle not playing well, with quickly not even really playing um, big minutes. He has been, and he's the focal point of Cleveland's defense, and he is still putting up these numbers. I, I literally, it's it's impressive. And he reminds me, I don't know, he reminds me a little bit of John Starks if we're talking about '90s Knicks. Yeah, physical, tough guard, unafraid. He's really a throwback it's, guard. Uh yeah, absolutely. And and his dad played for the Knicks too, right? At one point. Yep. So it's Rick um, Brunson. Yep. It's it's uh it's amazing. And I think we talked about coming into the series about offensive rebounding, right? Cleveland's not a good defensive rebounding team. New York Knicks are amazing offensive rebounding team. And that's played out exactly as you'd expect. And that's where the disappointment is with guys like Mobley, who you got to win the, the the rebound battle. They're losing it. Guys like Josh Hart continue to fly in, get extra chance points. And so even when the Knicks aren't shooting well, they're able to stay in the game and, and win these games because they're getting so many second chance points. So yeah, ultimately, a, that's what the series comes down to. It's a great point because you'd look at it like, all right, well, they have twin towers. Why are they so bad at rebounding? It's like nobody else does anything, right? So Josh Hart can get in there. RJ Barrett can get in there. And like, Allen and Mobley will get 10, 12 rebounds a game just by nature of like, they're the two that are like boxing out and getting shots, but all the other loose balls or the long rebounds, et cetera, they've been bad at it all season. Donovan Mitchell doesn't, it's, you know, I know you're not a hockey guy, but in hockey, it's like, if you don't kind of come back and forecheck, right? Like if you're an offensive player and you don't come back and like get the ball out of the zone and, and sort of work for your defenders, right, to, to sort of make it a team effort. You just rely on them. You may have great defenders, but your team is going to give up a lot of goals because it's not an all five units, five men unit kind of working together. It's very similar in basketball because Mitchell has to crash, right? Garland, he's small, but he's got to do something like Karis LeVert or Chetty Oshman, whatever it is. Like none of those guys help. And then the, the, the Knicks play this helter-skelter brand, which – all credit to Josh Hart, man. Like, what a freaking acquisition at the trade deadline. Um, he's been a godsend. He either spells R.J. Barrett if Barrett doesn't have it like he did in game one and two. He can play with him. He can spell Quentin Grimes. Like, he's everything for him. Yeah, big, big acquisition. And, and on the flip side, you know, Cleveland 
a lot was made of the fact they didn't go and get a wing at the trade deadline, and it's hurting them. They they don't have that that dependable wing on offense or defense. I will say this though, RJ Barrett, I've never been a big fan, but he's impressed me this series. He's a guy I've always been underwhelmed because of the size, the raw talent, and he always somehow underwhelms whenever he's on the court. But I think this series, he's really been good at getting to the rim, not settling for the three, not settling for the mid-range jumpers. And that's really transformed the way this Knicks offense has operated. And and I think if he continues to do that, they have a chance to to push, to win this series and close out Cleveland, which I knew it was always a possibility. But man, to do it in such a dominant fashion, and for Cleveland to just be suffocated the way they have been, their offense, it's really impressive. Yeah, it's hard in 2023 to not reach 100 points scored in three of the four games of the series. Um, and RJ, you never know. He's truly a trick-or-treat player. He can look amazing night to night, week to week. No, anybody's guess how, how consistently it will play out. But All right, so to wrap, there's four series we did not cover. The one that's obviously of the max level of intrigue is Grizzlies-Lakers. However, the Grizzlies and Lakers are currently playing as we record. There's six minutes left, and the Grizzlies are up seven. The result of that game will drastically impact how I think about this series. The only thing I would say is you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Anthony Davis may be the two best per-minute defenders alive right now. It's been a lot of fun watching those guys just work and – Triple J, to his credit, has mostly stayed out of foul trouble. Uh, we get Ja back, so if this does go down to 2-2, LeBron, Ja, AD, Triple J, Bane, it's all there for him, best of three series. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Anything you would add on Yeah, I think series? this series is is only now really rounding into form. If Memphis can hold on here and it's 2-2, mm-hmm. um, as good as JJJ and AD have been defensively, they've been a little up and down, uh, AD tonight. It's not been great. JJJ, I keep saying JJJ, Triple J has not, um, he's also had some clunkers. I I think the story though is really Dylan Brooks trying to make this series about him and LeBron. And I think he is having one of the worst postseasons (laughs) of all time by almost every metric. So I think he's, his confidence is completely shot. And if you take away Brooks, you've already lost Brandon Clark. You've already lost Steven Adams. Um, this Memphis team is running a little bit on fumes, so I still expect the Lakers to win this uh, series. But if it's 2-2 uh, after tonight, which we'll find out soon, um, anything can go. So, yeah. Yeah, I know Memphis is missing big men, Steven Adams, Brandon Clark, and I know they had Ja gone for a game, but it does feel like they look weirdly tired for a young team, especially at home. They just didn't play well. They didn't play with energy. Versus the older Lakers. Um, so we'll see what happens. If Rui and Austin Reeves continue balling, maybe they can make up for the absence of AD on the offensive end. But all of this is going to is gonna depend on the outcome of tonight's game. Uh, really pivotal game four. All right. So next up, Celtics-Hawks. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this other than, to me, this is more about what the Hawks do once they get ushered out of the playoffs tomorrow night in kind fashion. DeJounte Moriarty suspended for that game after bumping an official uh, at the end of game four. Trey Young, you know, he's just getting put in hell by all the big wings and big guards that the Celtics have. And it feels like from a night to night standpoint, nobody is playing better or more consistently well as the Celtics just to have a high floor given the defensive intensity 
even how hard Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum go every night and just gives you a lot of confidence if you're a Celtics fan that you'll always be in the game because you're going to take care of what you're going to take care of. You have great team defenders all around, and you have a veteran group who's made this run, exact run, multiple years in a row, including last year all the way to the finals. Yeah, if I'm Atlanta, I mean, this is the most predictable series out of all of them. Uh, even yep. Sixers, uh, Nets, even though it's 4-0, you could say things kind of went a little bit differently than you might have expected. But this series, we always knew it was a matchup nightmare for Atlanta. I will say this. If, if you're Atlanta, you can feel a little bit good about the way you ended the season. Quinn Snyder's offense, it seems to be clicking with the players. They've done fairly well, given just how outmatched they are in the Celtics series. Uh, Trey, DeJounte, um, you know, some of the other, I, I think Collins, it feels like is definitely not going to be there moving forward. He doesn't really have a role in this team like he used to. Uh, so yeah, if you're a Hawks fan, maybe you can talk yourself into Snyder fixing the offense, Trey coming back. But, uh, overall, this is what we expected. <laughs> There's not much yeah. more to say, so. I think greater than 50% chance Trey Young is wearing a different jersey at the start of next season. Yeah, and I, and I didn't talk about Boston at all, but I think Boston, you know, it's we're really waiting Boston's, for next round. Boston, Boston's playoffs hasn't started yet. They haven't started yet. This is a tune-up series for them. Uh, Brogdon's been been awesome, you know, which is great for them moving forward in the postseason. Uh, so we'll see. And the other team who they will play in round two, Philadelphia over Brook uh, over Brooklyn 4-0 sweep. Their playoffs has also not started because they didn't play well. Uh, Boston has played well to be up 3-1. Philadelphia, I don't think, has played great beyond game one when they hit, I think, 25 threes, which is tying the NBA record. Um, but they made it through. Harden's audio a little banged up. Embiid is hurt, right? So the status of what his, his status for game one versus Boston is going to dictate everything about what I think about that series. But the fact that he's already nursing something kind of significant does not give me great confidence that they're finally going to get over the Celtics hump. But I think both teams will have a good amount of rest, I think, over a week uh, between games for the Sixers, and or at least a week. I think I think they should kick off next weekend. So we'll see where that lands. But ultimately, I'm still going to pick the Celtics over over the Sixers, even with the healthy Embiid. And if he's limited at all, then it's no-brainer. Yep, same here. So, All right, and then the last one in the West, Nuggets, Timberwolves, I mean – the Nuggets, I would say the first 12 quarters of this series, they won 11 quarters. The only one that they kind of struggled with was the third quarter in game two when the when the Nuggets made a big run. I'm sorry, the Timberwolves made a big run. Other than that, they pretty much handled them for the most part. Game four was an amazing game by Ant. I mean, he's got future superstar written all over him, but unfortunately in like a terrible situation with this Gobert contract and all that they gave up for him and a weird pairing with Towns, so... I'm worried about his kind of ceiling just given the roster around him, but tune-up series for the Nuggets. They should move on after winning tomorrow night. I would be surprised if this gets to six and shocked if it goes to seven. Yeah, this should not go any further than tomorrow. Five, honestly. Yep. Uh, I yep. think one of the things, if I'm, I'm Denver, I'm hanging my hat on is just Jokic and his play. He's been yep. sensational. <laughs> uh, I mean, the last game, especially, despite the loss, 43 and 11 and 6. And I think if he can produce those ceiling type performances, that's going to go a long way. And and against a team that, look, you, you know, you've got size down low. So 
for for them, they should end this in five, and then you're going to be facing a, a Suns team, as we already mentioned, has plenty of vulnerabilities. So this is this is the time. This they need to close this series out, go into Phoenix, uh, into that series, and win, and, and you put yourself in a good position to get to the finals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's set up for him, like we talked about, and the duality of Jokic. He scores 13 in game one, and they win comfortably. He scores 43 in game two and in, in game four in overtime. So he can kind of give it to you in whichever way you need, in whichever way the team needs. Which is, I think, what can be so frustrating about him, but so tantalizing about him at the same time. But I like that, right? I I know they lost. That's not the recipe for every game, but. You want to see those games out of him because there will yes. be a time in one of these series where he's going to have to go for where Jamal Murray's not getting it. Uh, Gordon's not hitting his shots. You got to go for that 35, 40 type performance. Yep. Agreed. All right. That is a wrap. Hopefully by the next time we talk, Karthik, we'll be previewing Kings versus Team X in round two um, and not Warriors versus T-Max. So I'm rooting for your boys. Uh, I'm expecting a comeback performance in game five. Uh, and lo and behold, Lakers now have a two point lead. So that's why we didn't talk about this, but anyway, please rate review and subscribe to thick and thin hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. Hope you're enjoying the playoffs. And as always, we will talk to you next week. Peace.